0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Schulich Pediatric Interest Group Podcast. I'm Jillian. And I'm Megan. And today we are joined by Dr. Anna Guns. Dr. Guns, would you like to introduce
1: yourself and your specialty? Sure. Well, my name is Anna Guns, as you said, and I am a pediatric ICU doctor. Why
0: did you choose pediatrics and why pediatric critical care specifically?
1: I could give you a longer answer with all the different rational things that I did and the choices in the past. But to be perfectly honest, I just followed my gut, my instincts. I remember when asking that question when I was a medical student, how do you know what you want to do? And people just said, you have to love the bread of butter. I don't know what that means. But then, to be honest, it's it's just the place I was happiest. So I went into medical school wanting to do rural family medicine, I think mainly because Um, I wanted to live in the middle of nowhere and just this idea that you're kind of like the end of the line and you just have to make do and MacGyver sounded appealing but every time I did family medicine it just didn't feel right it wasn't for me and I didn't think that I would make a good family doctor because of the things I was worried about in terms of um, you know the way I think and whether I would would really be able to support families the way I should and then I did internal medicine and liked it I really enjoyed it And then I did peds and it was the same thing, but just, I was just having fun, but it was, it was, yeah, the patients are great. You're working with families and there's lots of reasons I like pediatrics, but it just, it's where I was happiest. And it's the same thing with critical care. I came in and thought, okay, great. Well, now I'll still live in the middle of nowhere, but I'll just be a pediatrician in the middle of nowhere. And then as I went through, I just was drawn to critical care. I could just feel it. Um, and I tried to rationalize my way out of it because it is not, known for lifestyle pediatric critical care in fact i would say to many residents if they like it if you can do anything else do that <laughs> because it's you know it, it's it's not a very easy path for many reasons but it's just where my passion lied and um, yeah that's the short that's the short of it is what you what does your gut tell you what do your instincts tell you so when were
0: you exposed to like critical care specifically was that in med school or in
1: residency Adult critical care, I had some exposure to in medical school, and I also really liked emergency medicine. and I really liked the critical care end of it, this that side of it. So I think all the way through, I if I look back, I can say I was really drawn to acute, medicine. And it's not that I wasn't, you know, drawn to and I didn't like other types of medicine as well. But I I did feel a pull there, but it just wasn't enough. And so when I landed in pediatrics, that's, I think, where I really felt that tug again. Um, And pediatric emergency medicine is different than adult medicine. It's beautiful, actually, because a lot of the children that you're seeing are well, just as they are in a family doctor's office, um, and uh, 20 30% of them are sick. And that's where that's like really what drew me to subspecializing or even specializing in the first place is because just the way I think, what I worried about in terms of um, making a mistake is if you see a lot of people who are coming in with a specific complaint and it's normal and they're well, if you then saw somebody and they have the same complaint, but actually that's the beginning of or that sign of something, some real illness or. Um, cancer or something like that. I was worried I would miss that. I don't know that that's true or not, but that's what I worried about, and that caused me a lot of stress. So, if I look at you know where I specialized and then subspecialized, everyone that comes to me, I assume is very ill, and then there's twenty percent of them that I can say actually you're not critically ill, and that's for my mental framework and how I think. That just was easier for me; it caused less stress, um, which is ironic because I it's a very stressful place to be for a lot of people. But that is sort of one of the things that I noticed about myself in terms of why I found some things particularly stressful and others aren't or why certain areas of medicine were easier for me and others weren't is, is, is that kind of thought. And I think everybody has something like that. And I, you know, a lot of my good friends and family doctors, and they're like, well, oh, really, are you really gonna do that? Did you ever do that? And I was like, no, but it was just, again, listening to that voice inside me, Um, that caused me a lot of distress and that's not what a family doctor can do, right? They're amazing at listening to everybody who comes through their door and just reading this out and teasing it out. Could
0: you please share with us your educational path to entering pediatric critical care, starting kind of with your undergraduate degree?
1: Yes, I can, but I'm going to tell you there's no straight line. (laughs) Um, So I actually did my degree in environmental science so I did a geography degree in uh, basically physical geography which is environment it was kind of the environment degrees at the time. There wasn't an environmental schools then um, with a double major in social geography. So it was like history and politics and yeah. environment. It was amazing with, and then with some geographic information systems. And, but really at the end of medical school, I realized I loved it, but I really liked that connection with people. And I I, I finally accepted that medical school was my calling. And so I went into medical school. So my undergraduate degree doesn't apparently seem that relevant to to medicine. Um, and then I went to medical school at McMaster, and, which is not a surprise if you hear my undergraduate um, and residency there, and then fellowship at CHEO and in, in, in Sick Kids. Um, so while, while I say that and people are like, well, that's so different, actually, what I have a, my two sort of specializations are in transport medicine. And that really links very much from a spatial perspective, which is that Mm -hmm. belief that no matter where children present, they should have the same access to quality of care for critical care, which is so hard, right? If if you're working in a small remote community and a child comes in critically ill, that might be the only critically ill child, child you've seen in your career. Um, so there's a lot that we do in terms of coaching and moving those children. Um, and the other way is actually climate change and environmental health. So I'm starting an environmental health clinic here, which is very not linked to pediatric critical care, but certainly we see victims of climate change all the time in the unit now. And so that's really where a lot of my energy and research and advocacy oh. comes in. So I've managed to make it all link because that's really who I am, but on paper, it's not typical. I fully recognize it's not a typical background. For medical school, let alone ICU.
0: That's really interesting. And it's nice that you're now able to incorporate it into your career. Mm-hmm. It's circle.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: So then what does a typical
1: day look like for you? So for most, so pediatric subspecialty, um, you really have to live within academic centers. There's not so much, an opportunity to work in a community like there is with general pediatrics. To some extent, it's starting to happen in and around Toronto. But certainly in critical care, an ICU means an academic career. So I'm either in the ICU um, or I'm um, having an academic day. Um, and when the life of pediatric intensivists, everyone works different models in different places. But you know, the morning involves rounding on the patients, and the afternoon involves work um so checking up on everyone and we always round on the patients in the evening as well and then what you end up doing the rest of the day depends on who's in who's in the unit so there's times where you have patients that are more stable or chronic and so you might be having family meetings or trying to figure out ways to optimize their healing but other times it you know then someone comes in really really well like really really unwell sorry or um one of your patients ends up becoming very unstable again and then you're um all at all hours um doing different procedures and titrating medications and infusions um, or meeting with families and trying to support them so it's a very um variable i'd say um but a lot of things happen at night which is why that's where the lifestyle piece comes in and that, but that's really pediatrics as well. So unless you're a subspecialist or you only have a clinic and don't work in a hospital, most people bring their children in in the evening um, before they're going to bed thinking, ooh, I'm not so comfortable going to sleep and not watching them any night. So pediatricians are pretty nocturnal anyway. Um, and then so pediatric critical care, especially because we don't have that many fellows here. So often uh, we might be here with the residents or with, their, with the patients.
0: How much time are you at the, your environmental
1: health clinic? So it's, it's, it's up and coming. Okay. And, um, and so the way that we're going to do it, so this will be the second environmental clinic in Canada. So I've been working with the group in Edmonton for the last year and a bit, year and a half. Um, and so the idea is, well, it'll be a virtual clinic. So it's a completely referral based. Um, so we will see patients um, that, again around my schedule and my schedule is all over the place based because of my ICU so it works well so there'll be no designated time or inpatients, patients um, and so then I'll be seeing them when I'm not on ICU days and then what happens is the really neat thing about environmental health is it's so interdisciplinary so we have a group of um, people here in different faculties as well as um, in Edmonton, and we all review the cases together. So people, so you need environmental scientists, you need, um, we have a toxicologist, we have a fetal development specialist, we have all these different people with all these different pockets of expertise. Um, And so every case involves, uh, usually depending on what it is, probably a bit of an environmental um, survey, literature scan. Sometimes it involves having a a company go into the home um, to look for environmental dangers there. So it's, it's not like, you know, we have a clinic every afternoon on this hour. It's, it's you know, on a referral basis and uh, will depend on, on referral volume. Uh, and each one is pretty in depth, except for standard things like lead exposure. Um, you know, those are, those are pretty standard concepts. Mm-hmm.
0: So what type of settings are you typically working in?
1: So I'm in hospital. So um, my ICU is inside Children's Hospital here. Um, i also director of the transport team, so occasionally we'll go out with the, the transport team on transports, and our transport team goes, you know, covers the high north, so we'll fly in little tiny planes, fly in big planes, fly in helicopters, we also have our own ambulance, and so our region, on average, our calls are about two hours away, um, so, you know, that environment, or I'm, um, you know, doing a virtual clinic and working academically, which is really sitting in my my den in the hospital or my cave as my colleague called it because there's no windows
0: and you kind of touched on it earlier but how do you find your work-life balance in your career
1: it's a challenge um and that is something i mean for everybody it's going to be a challenge um, across the board, and i the data for pediatric critical care is even worse so from a burnout perspective pre-pandemic the rates in most subspecialties and specialties was about 50 percent burnout rates and pediatric icu at 75 80 and i think some of that is because of just fatigue right? you work at night you're up at night you're you're doing a few days in a row sometimes it can be fine but it'll, often it's not or even if we're not here we're giving advice to people around the province wherever you work I think the other piece is that a lot we, everyone we meet is on having the worst day of their life. Um, we see a lot, me and my, my nursing and, and RT colleagues that like we, you deal with a lot of tragedy and trauma constantly. And I do think that the longer I do this, I recognize how much of a toll that takes on people. Um, and I, you know, I was speaking to, you know, colleagues across the country of different generations as well. And so I think it, doesn't mean it's terrible. It just means that there's a lot that you have to do to be very protective and something that I've certainly discovered. In fact, I've just taken a year away from ICU to try general pediatrics again for the sake of my family and for a lot of different reasons. Um, But I'm still I've drawn back. This is where I belong. But you just have to be, I think, very good at being very protective of your time and very sensible about things that doctors aren't sensible about. Like I remember in medical school, the first thing you learned was don't sleep, don't eat, don't pee, and if you do, don't let anyone see. Like that was what the mantra pre-clerkship was. And then we went into clerkship and that's what people told us. And really, if you think about it, that's be ignoring every basic animal instinct that you have. That, that is just an amazing example of, of why I think so many people in medicine long-term have struggled and in, in the pandemic. And a lot of, I don't know if it's a hidden curriculum or this culture. I mean, there's certainly this machoism that I had as well. I mean, the only reason I got through all my fellowships is like, I can do this. I can stay up for days on end. Like, oh, I'm so tough. But you know, at the end of the day, there's only there's only so many compartments we have, right? And it's so easy to overflow, and and our a lot of our job involves compartmentalizing, right? You see something terrible, you you withdraw, and a child dies, and then you have to go to the next room and take care of that uh, patient, like that. None of that happened, and and stay focused, and so but i think that and that's how a lot of doctors are a lot of emergency room doctors but that's also i think one of the biggest threats so really learning how to take time to grieve to process to listen to your to actually instead of ignoring all your instincts if i really can't concentrate and don't want to do any work right now maybe it's actually because i need to take a break maybe i need to take 15 minutes to drink and eat something and go to the bathroom and that will make me a more clear-headed doctor all of these things that you know the impulse is to just to keep going and i think Uh, we need to do better all of us and you guys as you go through clerkship learning to take it's actually very protective and adaptive to take those human moments um, and to take breaks I think actually will lead to a real transformation in in your career and so I'm kind of I realize I'm like standing on a soapbox right now but I really some of that is through learning over the last decade and or more in this profession and watching everything happening around me and seeing, doing the job I'm doing and watching all my colleagues around me. Um, And I think we need to have more dialogue in this area um, in in mindfulness and well-being. So saying that I'm much more optimistic than you, if you talked to me two years ago, um, because I think we can be protective, but again, it's, it's one of the tougher specialties. And I think those are the two main reasons. Um, But that doesn't mean that you can't, we can't change it and make it what we want.
0: So what are some of the things that you enjoy about your career?
1: Oh, so, I mean, I love the clinical medicine. At the end of the day, I can't get away from it. Uh, And I can't really say why. Probably the reasons I loved it, like the excitement and all that kind of stuff, and being the person at the end of the line and and, and being trained to know what to do or how to do things probably were the things when I was more junior that excited me. But now I think... um, you know, it's such a team environment. And I really like authenticity, right? I really like fascinated by people. And I think it's so amazing to connect to people um, who are really their authentic selves. And I think when people are under stress, they just are who they are. And so that's ICU, right? Um, The nurses and the families, I mean, it's possible to be completely inauthentic. I mean, I've seen it. But at the same time, I think there's something about that amazing human experience. And to be able to be part of uh, people's lives. It's a real privilege in such a trying time and to work with them and do what you can to really help them get the best out of it. And hopefully, you know, at least in pediatric ICU, you know, our outcomes are much better than in adult world, right? So, um, you know, you see miracles. Like I, I never would have used that word 10 years ago, but now I'm like, sometimes, wow, I cannot believe that just happened. Um, so yeah, it's very fulfilling. So that's the one piece, I, I, that clinical medicine. And the other piece is that as much as sometimes I wish I could just, you know, be an academic or be a clinician and then come home and be a mother. I, it's a real opportunity to be an academic clinician, especially because for me, my passions are around climate change and environmental health. And because of the job I have, I'm able to do research and advocacy and meet fascinating people and work in a hospital and try and change the system. Um, which is very motivating for me. It it has always been my passion. And now that I have children, it's what we have to do now. We are so far behind and we need so much help and just trying to bring more people along. Um, I know that I would never be able to do this to this extent if I had my own clinic in the community um, because I, I wouldn't have the same opportunities I do as an academic. So that piece is also really what sustains me. And I need both. I think if I had one or the other, I wouldn't be happy. I need, I need both. So what are some of the challenges of your career? So, yeah. And I think that's going to be the lifestyle, right? Sleep, driving in the middle of the night, being tired. Um, it's a tragedy, the weight of childhood death. It's crushing at times. Um and and the balance right everyone talks about balance it's not right it's juggling right so it's constant prioritizing what is the most important for me what are my values and not getting sucked up you know there's such a momentum in anywhere in healthcare, and what type of vortex you're being pulled in depends on who you are and where you work but to really stay true to your values and to stay grounded so that you don't get pulled through the vortex and you're navigating and being intentional about what you're doing and so you can be a happy physician and work for a long time and also be a parent if you want to be a parent and a sister or brother or whatever it is that you know you value in life um actually takes a lot of commitment and concentration and revaluation so that i think is probably the challenge of any medical career, um, but certainly something that I've gone through as well in mine.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience?
1: I think it's just honestly, it's the theme that is run through is, don't ignore your instincts, follow your passion. If you know, there are rational reasons not to, right? So if you things are really important to you, like lifestyle, that's a real, you know, you will not be happy unless you were able to prioritize that. But other than that, just don't ignore your instincts, trust your gut when you're trying to decide what to do and just make the most of things, I think is the other one. And also trust your gut as a clinician. The only times I've really made, times I've really regretted things is when I haven't trusted my gut when I, you know, with a patient or the scenario, there's many times when my gut was wrong. I'm not saying it's not, But it's not a good feeling. Like often what you're doing is you're picking up on cues or things that you don't fully understand um, that will lead you in the right direction. And it's the same for choosing a career and a subspecialty. You don't really know what it's like until you've done it for five years. So how the heck are you supposed to make that decision? Well, I think you're you pick up on things and that's what your your heart really knows and your head sometimes gets in the way.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We learned a lot about pediatric critical care, and we really appreciate your time, Dr. Gunz.
1: Thank you both for having me.
0: And thank you everyone for listening, and please stay tuned for more episodes on different pediatric specialties.